and welcome to the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast, episode 11. And I'm super, super excited to welcome, I'm really excited just to say your name, but (laughs) Nicole Shaka, did I get that right? Yeah, that's right. It's freaking awesome. Thank you. Nicole Shaka. What's that weird, um, like Jeopardy, it's like two things in one. So it would be like Nicole Shaka Khan. Oh my God. You have no idea what I'm I talking don't. about. Yes, good and that you can tell You that. think I'm insane right now. <laughs> no, I'm trying to follow. I'm like, is it the antibiotics? <laughs> That's right. You posted something on Instagram that you're taking antibiotics. I'm losing my mind. Can I ask why you're on antibiotics? Because I have a mystery situation in my eyebrow. <laughs> That's right. We don't want to talk about that. That's fine. It could be a spider bite. Who knows? It's we very know. exciting. Medical mystery. Well, um... I'm really excited to have you here. Thank you. And um, you're here at an interesting time because we're sitting inside the studio, but there are insane fires going on outside throughout Los Angeles. Um, and we're going to get into that, actually. We're going to talk about that. The cats are roaming all around the <laughs> studio, so there may be some weird meows and like running going on in the background <laughs> during this recording, but it sort of adds levity to the to the discussion. And uh, Nicole, by the way, it's, um, she's a yoga teacher in Los Angeles. So we're actually going to be doing a flow <laughs> throughout the interview. So it's going to be really fun. Fantastic. <laughs> and inhale. Yeah, right. And, and exhale. And plank pose. What? Um, there's a lot that I want to talk to you about. And there's a lot. And, and the cool thing about having a podcast is um, it allows me to stalk people sort of in a, in a professional way. So I've been researching you the last couple of days. And I'm, I'm really intrigued by your story and how you got into yoga. Um, you're kind of a big deal here in Los Angeles. I mean, Calvin, who I had on a few weeks ago, he had like close to 30,000 followers on Instagram. Yes. And you only have like 5,000 followers on Instagram. That's right. So you're not quite as famous as Calvin is. And as you know, based on my Instagram, I judge people based on how many followers they have. That's right, as so you should. I was really excited to have you on the show. And then I was like, wait, she only has like 5,000 followers. What's the deal? <laughs> <laughs> and she takes so the narrator now says she takes the headphones off and walks away, gets in her car and cries. But that's what. So before we get into the interview, for all those people listening, because Nicole's here and they're not interested in me, which I totally understand. My podcast evolved and developed, and it's called the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral. Because I think our culture is going down the toilet, and that's the downward-facing spiritual spiral. I'm a yoga teacher, I'm a writer, I'm writing a book, and a few of the things that I researched online really suggested having a strong online presence if you're a writer. Now, I don't really buy into Instagram. I certainly use it, but I think it's pretty much bullshit. So that's why I created the podcast, because I wanted to, I think the art of having a conversation is lost. Mm. And I think that's truly how you get to know somebody. And I think as yoga teachers, you're far more pro of a yoga teacher than I am. So I can barely say that I'm a yoga teacher. But as a yoga teacher, I think having a good yoga teacher is more important now than ever before. Um, And we'll get into that. But I'm going to start the show by reading something. Um, from the New York times, it's just two sentences and then I'm going to connect it to you because I've taken your class. I was actually going to take your class today, but I'm, um, I'm sort of in the process of teaching at sweat. And and, and one of the things is, is to, um, 
like take as many classes there as possible. It makes sense. And you actually remind me of somebody that I'm working with over there, and we'll talk about that. But anyway, so I opened up this article about Jillian Flynn. She's the art. Um, she's the writer of Gone Girl, uh, Sharp Objects on HBO. And she has a quote here that I think is really interesting. I really do think the world can be divided into the people who like to look under the rock and the people who don't want to look under the rock. And then she says, I've always said since birth, let's look under the rock. So when I take your class, or when I took your class, and I follow you on Instagram, I get the feeling, and I read about you, I get the feeling that you very passionately live by looking underneath the rock. And you're you're smiling. (laughs) And so when I read that quote to you, and I saw you thinking about it, What's, what's going through your mind and what do you try to bring when people come into your yoga class? What's the experience supposed to be like? Well, just to start from the beginning, that the whole rock idea, this is, I don't think I've ever shared this. So you're really drawing it out of me, Eddie. Okay. That's when I was little, I was obsessed with micro machines. I don't know if you know what those are, but they're like hot wheels, but micro. All right. And my brother, they were my brothers, but they were mine. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And we would go outside because I grew up in Alabama. This is what you do. And I would dig up roads and I would make cities and mo- take rock clusters and build like neighborhoods and take the micro machines and just travel. I'll be like, I'm, I'm going to go to the market and then back to the library. I'm going to go up into the shopping center. Like that's what I did. All I did was play in the dirt looking under rocks. Right. Quite literally. Yes. And I loved it. I had like a pet boa constrictor growing up. Like I loved it. Yeah. I cannot imagine living any other way. And I, I can see in her, in that quote, I can, I can think of a couple people right off the top of my head that maybe see it the other way around. Yeah. Well, let's talk about you. I mean, why do you live that way? I mean, I, is it a choice or is it just a subconscious mm, thing that that's just how you are? It's just how I am. Yeah. I'd rather, I'd rather excavate the shit than overlook it and just wonder what's stinking. Yeah. Like, to me, I've never, I've never um, been too scared of that. I think, I, and I don't know, you know, I don't know if this is your environment, like how you're raised or if it's a subset of your genetics or who knows what it is, but I haven't, I was nurtured in a safe place and I was allowed to feel my feelings. Hmm. And I think it gave me tremendous, um, a tremendous foundation to grow up. Yeah. Because I, I wasn't ridiculed, wasn't ridiculed for that. I was allowed to be upset or to be angry or to be super freaking happy and weird. And I was that most of the time. But right. like when the dark clouds came, I would feel them and deal with it. There wasn't any sweep it under the rug. There wasn't any hide this and get out there and pretend. It was just, there was a lot of acceptance. Yeah. So I, I think I don't know any differently. I was obviously being facetious when I was talking about the Instagram followers. <laughs> You are a big deal in Los Angeles. I really think I, you are. Okay, and, well, that's very nice. I well, am uncomfortable. This is it's okay that you're uncomfortable. And it's what's funny is that one of my people that listens to my show get, was getting annoyed at me that I would ask a challenging question and then apologize for it. Oh yeah. And the reason why I do that still, first of all, I'm not big time yet. This podcast. I mean, I do have some big goals with it. Yeah. But the fact that you're busy. Single mom raising a four-year-old son. He's five. Five. He's almost six. Almost oh six now. And you're really busy teaching yoga at like a lot of studios. At least it seems that way. Mm-hmm. So the fact that you're coming over here 
spending some time to be on the podcast means a ton. And it, I mean, really seriously. Yeah. Um, and the reason why I brought up that quote is, and how it connects to you is that somebody said something to me about a good yoga teacher. They're the same person, whether they're teaching or outside the room. Mm. And I really criticize Instagram a lot because it's creating a world where people are creating two personas and they're paying more attention to the fake one on Instagram than the real one. Yet I feel in this weird sort of way that you actually have somehow managed to create an Instagram profile that feels like the same person that is in real life that is in the yoga studio. And I don't know how you've done it. No, but seriously, because I, I think most people don't. So like, what am, what am I, I haven't asked you a question yet, but <laughs> how, how did you, like, are you aware of what you're doing with Instagram? Are you um, agreeing with me about this whole world of Instagram and the world of creating two per- profiles or two lives? I mean, we were just talking really passionately before the podcast started. So I want to hear your thoughts yeah. about everything I've said. Um, 100% I agree with your thoughts on Instagram. Yeah. I wouldn't have phrased it that well, but that, that way, but that was so eloquent. Yes, there are, there are clearly, for the majority of folks, two personas. And it is beyond disturbing. I think that is part of the motivation for the way that I am. I would be this way regardless, but I have fuel because this is what I'm looking at every day. And we're on it every freaking day. I go on there to find like the mentors and the people that I follow and the podcast. Um, I I follow a couple entrepreneurial folks and I'm always on there to, to read their content and it's, it's valuable content. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So the the people that are out there, you know, posting their succulent background photos with avocado toast and like a down dog. Yeah. I just, I think we're going to look back at this in 10 years and be like, oh my God, you guys. Yes. What were we thinking? What a waste of time and energy and, and opportunity to help. Like, exactly. Here's my thing. I, I I love comedy. Like I love to make people laugh. And if I can do that by outing my own shit great. Like that makes me more comfortable that I get to talk about it and that it's made someone enjoy their day a little bit better or getting out of a negative headspace or something. So I don't come at it like, um, like it's not an agenda. It's just what I, who I am and what I do. I really don't know how to be anything else. But did you ever like a few years ago, were you that post post food picture stuff and post like the pretty uh, yoga pose thing? Was that ever your, was that ever your thing? I was on this dumb platform. Like the day it came out, I was on Instagram Instagram. instantly. So if you go back, (laughs) I'm lazy right now. No, No, yeah, you should scroll (laughs) all the way down. It'll take you three hours. Right. Um, but there, you know, there's pictures of my studio, um, hustle and flow that I owned prior to this. And I, there was no, there was no vibey stuff happening when Instagram first came out. It was just, here's a picture, here's a comment, but bop, you know what I'm saying? Caption, excuse me. Um, and then it slowly started to evolve and you're getting these filters and these, the white borders and all, you know, it just, it morphed as everything does. Yes. And I morphed along with it, but I'm not going to lose my sense of humor and, and who I am because the, to me, I just can't, I can't go fully and authentic. I just, I don't know. I yeah. can't do it. Well, it's funny. I know there's been a lot of podcasts about how technology is ruining the culture, ruining mm. the world. I do think though, Instagram 
and I'm trying to set myself apart from all the others because I'm primarily focusing on Instagram. Mm -hmm. I think Instagram has somehow encapsulated all of the bad and put it all into one platform. Mm. It it has the followers, the likes, the dopamine and those circles yes. around the top with like the stories and you can add the filters and then they add the IGTV and and the thing is it's just photos. Like at least with Facebook or Twitter you could occasionally like follow the New York Times and there'll be an article that shows up right. that will actually break the minutia of photos. But Instagram it is not doing any of that. It is just photos. And my guest last week, we have all become obsessed with becoming celebrities. Mm. And it's literally, it's almost like the paparazzi, Us Magazine, and your own professional photographer all in one. And I just think as a, so when I see yoga teachers, and again, I'm mad respect to you, because when I see like the aloe yoga superstars, the aloe or just the yoga people that literally post pictures of their ass or their hot body Mm -hmm. and guys are doing it too. Like Mm -hmm. there's some serious, and this isn't just women. This is men and women teachers Mm -hmm. who are only posting like body shots with like waterfalls and they can do amazing like fucking yoga poses in like Thailand or something. Yoga is supposed to be the opposite of this and it's becoming right along it's it's melting right into it mm-hmm. this and, capitalism yeah the minute the minute there were yoga there's someone i don't know where i read this but someone said the minute they created a pant for this activity the, it shit hit the fan yeah and it's been downhill ever since and it's true because it, this is su- it's such an easy thing to uh, alexandria crow had just made it made a post recently about how yoga has a pr problem and mm. I was like, so well said. It does. Yeah. Because it was touted as healing. So we all went into it thinking, oh, this is something that's going to heal me of my trauma, my injury, my anxiety, my depression, whatever it is, it's going to heal me, which of course it's not. I, I mean, I hope that doesn't surprise anyone. Right. <laughs> um, but, but of course it's not because it's so far off the rails due to due to the sexuality of it, due to these gigantic athleisure companies that are making yoga a sexual thing yes. to a contortion thing. Who's got the most contortions. I can't, I don't want any part of aloe. Hmm. I just said that out loud. Um, and I mean, I, I could change my mind at some point, but right now that's a billion dollar company. Well, they need to be, if they're, if they really care about yoga, they would revamp that. They're, your product's going to sell. You have great, you have a great line of athleisure. It's actually awesome. Yes. I will pick it up in a store and be like, damn it, it's aloe. I'm not going to buy it because mm. I can't stand behind that. And I, I, it's a really hard thing to say. Cause I got a lot of friends that love that company and work for them and I'm to each their own. You know, it's just not, I don't want to perpetuate that scene. Yeah. I don't. Well, it's interesting. I had Calvin Corzine on a couple of weeks ago and I asked him um, about aloe and I, you know, the, the owner bought a $30 million home in Beverly Hills. And he said, well, it's because of another t-shirt company and, and which, which could be true. Um, and th- I'm, this isn't about bashing aloe yoga and I, I like Calvin yeah. a lot and I, yeah. and, it, and it was uncomfortable slightly because I do like Calvin. He's a friend. Yeah. Um, Same. I, yeah. But I do think aloe yoga could be doing more. 
And that is my point. That's the point. That and, is my and he point. said something like, um, you know, they're doing things for charities and schools or something, mm. but I, time out. I, I didn't believe, gonna... I didn't believe that. And then he said, well, look, but I don't, I never see any posts about that, but what, what are you going to say? I was going to say taking 30 influencers to a resort in Palm Springs, putting them up in luxury and then having them get naked in your clothes and take photos in a pool. Yeah. How does that help anyone? Right. Your clothes are already selling. Yeah. Like, why are you perpetuating that image? That's not yoga. It's not helping anyone. No, it's not inclusive. It's you're you're. It is inclusive. You're you're keeping everyone out. Yes. Everyone, if you're not a contortionist or a has been model, then you can't be in here. And I don't even think, if I'm right, they don't make aloe clothing and like an extra large. No, they or don't. An extra, extra. Are you fucking kidding me? So the- <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. Have you looked around? How is this? Oh, that makes me crazy. No, I, I mean I can I, tell. Like it's funny. Um. I needed to reframe myself because, um, you know, I, I don't want to come across as being an asshole. Me neither. Uh, but you're not. Okay. I just... No, but it's, this is the thing. Mm. And it's not just yoga. So many companies are doing it. And I look, I, I talked about Nike about a month ago. I don't think they picked Colin Kaepernick on to, to be... Um, you know, to, to, because he's a wonderful human being, mm-hmm. you know, I talked about this like five, six weeks ago, you know, and I don't want to waste too much time on Colin, but you know, he lost a starting job. He was bummed out because he lost his starting job. He right. was sitting on the bench in a preseason game. Now we don't know if he was sitting on the preseason on, on the bench in the preseason game because he was protesting the, the violence in our country, mm. or was he sitting on there because he was pissed off because he lost his starting job. And it wasn't until two or three weeks later that then the media started asking him about it. And we don't know if he actually was having a discussion with his manager or because he's getting older. His girlfriend works for MTV, who wants obviously a lot of attention because that's all MTV is about. Mm. We don't know if Colin actually stands for this or his team got behind this. They're like, you know, what can we do with this guy? Because he uh, lost his job. His coach, who, um, the shit, I forgot, um, he's now coaching at Michigan. Um, uh, but he, it, it almost felt like, so anyway, back to Nike. Nike picked Holland because it was going to bring dollar signs. And their, stock, and their stock price hit like an all-time high a month ago because of Colin Kaepernick and that ad and campaign. Mm-hmm. The campaign's beautiful. What he stands for is beautiful. Yep. But then when you start comparing him to Muhammad Ali, which some people were doing, oh. and he's getting all these humanitarian awards... It's bullshit because, again, similarly to Instagram, there's two things going on, and we don't know what's real and what's not. And everybody is hiding behind Instagram. Alo Yoga is hiding behind the pretty pictures. Mm -hmm. Nike's hiding behind Colin. Nobody knows what's true and what is false. Mm -hmm. And so we are left trying to fucking figure this out, and it's virtually impossible. And it's not helping our mental health issue. No. It's basically poison. Yes. So- our eyes, take in that poison, try to replicate that in our own lives by cleaning up our house. Or I need to go buy that succulent so I can take a picture and have the succulent in the background like so-and-so the influencer did. I want to throw up. It's yeah. so obnoxious and obscene and it's got to stop. Like, It's not going to. I know. It's not going to. So as a yoga teacher, what are you doing? And 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 I... Well, I've... So this, this is a good transition because... Um, just like 
four or five years ago when I just got on, or however long it was Instagram started, I don't even remember. But right when I got on, I was very consumed with selling my business, right? I wanted people to know that we were a family and a community, which we were. It was a tremendous community, but I, that was the image I was trying to take on. And I was very much into Ashtanga and I was very critical of people who were not doing a disciplined, ritualistic, dogmatic practice. Right. Maybe that was longer than five years ago. It feels like it. It's okay. <laughs> but looking at now, looking to where we are now, I'm much more realistic on Instagram. I do kind of like um, formulate the content so that it looks a certain way and it does what I want. But it's it's sharing information and quotes of people that have a lot more fucking education than I do and a lot more insight because mm. I feel like if you can't share that with people, then you're doing a disservice. Like I don't need to hear about your lip gloss. Right. Or no one cares about my lip gloss. Like, give me content. Secondarily, when I found my mobility coach Hunter and I started training with FRC and learning about actual joint health, and then realizing that there is a lack of science in yoga and and what's be the the, the here it goes again the capital the um, like the trickle down effect from making yoga sellable is that we have less informed teachers who are injuring people truly right. and. And, and no one knows where to go to get this information. So you have to almost move outside of yoga land, which is what I did. I mean, I work in a PT office now. I, I ask him, I pick his brain like a crazy person. I'm constantly watching lectures on um, functional range conditioning, which assesses people's joints to see if you have the prerequisite range of motion to ever get in down dog. Right. Oh, you don't? Your shoulders don't flex all the way? Guess what? Oh, your wrists don't extend? Let's put your body weight on it and plank and see what happens. Like there should yeah. be a whole pullback. It's like we need to go we need to go all the way back to the beginning and just st- stop the show. Yeah. And that's how I feel. I don't even remember what the question was. I don't even know what it's I'm okay. on. It's <laughs> okay. No, it's a, well, no, I I well I want to ask you one more thing about present day. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then we're going to move back. Okay. Um we're going to yeah, we're going to backtrack. Cuz it worked so well in my last couple of interviews, so I'm going to just do it again. <laughs> do that again. Um, no, but I and I didn't I could feel the passion about aloe yoga. And I do think they're, they're creating more harm than good. Do you believe that? I would agree. And here's another thing that just popped into my head. Um, as an ex professional dancer, right. having spent my entire adolescence in front of a mirror, criticizing my body, criticizing my body in the clothes, criticizing my body in the clothes and the shape, watching that play out on Instagram now with the thing that I love most that wasn't about that yes. is infuriating Mm. that just came full circle for me because as a dancer it is a craft and it is beautiful but you do not go a day without hyper criticism of your body of your performance i mean there were times where i wanted to um i talked about this a couple times about sticking my feet underneath the couch and trying to break my ankles my my dance partner at the time we were like hey if we just go get that surgery and break our ankles wow so that we could have a better pointed foot I mean, you would go to the ends of the earth to make it work for your craft. Yes. And yoga was not that. Yoga was like, pull back. You're fine as you are. Let's, exa- let's examine where you are now and, and work from that place versus you're not good enough. Try harder. Get your leg behind your head yeah. as a dancer, and as a dancer. It, right. But, but it, and it's like, have a hot ass or have good, yeah. or oh have my God, good yeah. abs. Yeah. Well, you brought up something <clears throat> that I want to talk about before we backtrack, because you actually brought something up that would have been a great, is a great counter argument to my feelings about the mobility hunter and um, what's it called? There's the other word, um, 
the the whole thing with mobility, the FRC. FRC. Okay. What does that stand for? Oh, I'm sorry. Functional range condition. Okay. So I think yoga has become obsessed with the physical. Oh yeah. So, and I talked about this with Calvin. I appreciate how he's bringing some of those mobility um, functionalities into the yoga room. And I appreciate, I see the thing about you that I think you're a real yoga teacher because you're bringing in the functionality, the postures, but you also have a spiritual Mm -hmm. energy about your class. So my issue with yoga today now is, although I think you're right, a lot of people are injuring themselves. Um, Teachers are, um, not good. They're not good teachers, and there's nothing that's really policing. The it's not yoga. even their fault. No. They did the training. They, yeah, they paid like, the sure. money to learn the thing. But. Right. So I promise I'm getting to the question. I think our culture, and because of Instagram and things like aloe yoga and looking pretty, it's all about abs and looking hot and pretty, and it's all becoming about the physical. And the spiritual side of it is getting lost. Now I appreciate the fact that. People like you and Calvin are adding that mobility factor to yoga. But it's like more physical. And it's more um, like ultimately why I, I got into yoga. I'll get into it later Why when we talk about your past. But that feeling when I walk out of class, I just I feel better. Mm-hmm. I feel happier. Mm-hmm. I'm not as like stressed out or anxious. Mm-hmm. That's That's in my world like the goal. Right. Unfortunately, though, I feel like that isn't good enough anymore. And so people are getting hung up with like abs and, you know, good bodies. And I was going to say this mobility factor about like opening the hips or internal rotation. I guess you could argue with me, though, that you're doing that because people are injuring themselves and you want people to have healthy hips. But there is sort of an obsession with the physical now which I don't think is particularly very good, but at least you're doing it in a way that is providing more health to the actual human body. Mm-hmm. But what do you think about, like, why is there so much, why did you get into this, these, teaching that's, the, these teachings that Hunter is offering and the physical mobility aspect? And, and what are your thoughts about yoga becoming so about the physical and not about like feeling good or feeling spiritual or feeling connected to mm-hmm. your voice? I feel like this is a two-part question because, unfortunately, the direction that yoga is going, we're not going to quickly or easily escape the physical obsession of the poses. So we have turned it into, um, again, as Alex Crow says, uh, glorified calisthenics. Yeah. And that that's one thing. So if that is where we are and we're not easily pulling back on that anytime soon, it's a billion dollar business. I can't believe I use the word billion dollar like multiple times in this conversation. Um, then I have to look at what I'm teaching. Yeah. If it is going to be physical and you're going to show up to every class I teach, which God bless them. I mean, I'm, I'm grateful they keep showing up. I'm surprised every time to be honest, I'm like, Oh, you're back. You're, Oh, you're back. Okay. Um, then I need to know what I'm doing. Yeah. And the the biggest, I had like a come to Jesus moment when I, when I actually um, started following Hunter and learning about the science of that. And I was like, that makes sense to me. Like my dad is a, and my dad is a head and neck surgeon. So I spent a lot of time. Um, he would, I would go in and watch him operate. I would go in and scrub in with him and, and watch these things. Cause I was fascinated by the human body and how it worked. 
And he told me when I was young, he's like, you should be a PT when you grow up. I'm like, I don't care about mm. that. I'm like, yeah. I'm an artist. Have you not seen me? I'm a pink tights. Um, <laughs> but there, he knew, I don't know how parents know that. He knew that I had an affinity for the mechanics of the human body. Like I, I loved it. I loved the way it looks. I love the way it operates. I love that it's an organism that is just unparalleled. Yeah. So if this unparalleled, beautiful organism that people are all walking around in your flesh suits, you're going to go into yoga and you're going to do this thing repetitively, repetitively, the same thing, the same thing with maybe the same instruction. Maybe you deviate, go to a new teacher, same thing, the same thing. And you're only working certain aspects of your body. But you're tou- it's touted as healing, so yeah. it, it counts. you got to check on your board because you went to yoga, and you do feel better until you don't, until you get the, hands, the yogi butt and you get that hamstring pull, or until your low back keeps aching inside angle and you keep doing it because you're told that suffering is part of life. Da-da-da-da. There's a sutra for that. Like, yes. It just becomes really confusing. And at the end of the day, if I as a teacher can educate myself on the science of bodies, so I can better give cueing so that you don't keep dumping into that joint capsule and sitting in the hip, then I'm helping a little bit. And I can still bring my spiritual tone into it because that's who I am. Like, that's not going anywhere. Like, I go to church and shit. Like, (laughs) Church and shit. I hope that's a tagline. (laughs) I still have a filthy mouth, but I I pray all the time. I meditate all the time. Like, I I love the spiritual side of yoga. Yeah, I can feel that. I feel and it I, when I went to your classes thanks. and I feel, feel it on Instagram. That's awesome. That's a, no, I, that makes me really happy because I wouldn't have you here if I didn't believe in you. Oh, and that's very nice. No, I'm being serious. Like, yeah. I think that's why I think people like you are really important right now. Um, because yoga teachers, once you become a yoga teacher, I, it becomes sort of, like you're a healer or you've, or people look up to you. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think a lot of yoga teachers are using that to trick everybody and you're not, and you're putting in the work. Um, you're being honest. At least it appears that way. Mm -hmm. And it's not like, and that's the other thing. I don't want to get too caught up in this, but people are using sort of bad things in their lives to manipulate people to get them to feel something about them. Yeah. It's very complicated, I know. Well, there's a there's a guy, Joe Dispienza. Have you ever heard of this man? No. It's going to blow your mind. You need to... You, okay. I'm going to show you something later. Um, he says that... Oh my God, I'm not going to remember the statistic. But the point is we... So let's say you have a traumatic experience in your life and that traumatic experience, you can either in the moment choose to suffer with it and keep feeling those feelings, or you make a choice to go the other direction, figure out how you need to fix it and and take the other path. Right. Right. Most people stay in the suffering and then they, then they're in a mood because it lasts for a couple days. And so there's like, what's wrong with you? Oh, this, this thing happened to me like three days. And so I'm just in a mood, but then they stay with that feeling because the body holds on and it keeps as a stress mechanism. It's trying to keep you prepared in case it happens again. So it keeps holding on to that sensation, right? Then you're down, you're down three months later. They're like, what's wrong with you? You're just like, this is, I don't know. I'm just in a phase. I'm just in a phase, but it's been going on now for three (laughs) months and your body is just reliving as a stress mechanism. It's protecting you for when this might happen again. 
And he kept going on. And he goes, like, you're looking at, you know, you're looking at 10 years. And you're talking, oh, what happened? Why is that guy such a grump? Yeah. Oh, because 10 years ago, such and such happened. And we perpetuate those feelings. So when people write that stuff in a caption or they're trying to get, it's like a manipulation to get people to feel things. Yes. You're in trouble there because people are, you don't know what is going on inside. We don't know. You know what I mean? You could be posting these things, but we have no idea what your, what your headspace is like, what your mental health is like. Yes. And it's, it's a very dangerous game to play because most people, most people don't want to take that path and say, okay, here's what happened to me. I'm going to seek out help. I'm going to talk to someone. I'm going to meditate and sit with it. I'm going to do the work on myself to make it better. Yeah. That is the, that is the, that's the hard road. That's the uphill battle right there. And it's easier to sit in your shit. Well, that's the thing is that it's, it's easier to create an Instagram profile that's like sexy and interesting and deep and intelligent and wait i have a question is yeah. it though because i look at those profiles i'm like how have you been to 17 countries in the last month and where did you get these <laughs> backdrops i mean my backdrop is my fucking car right and my couch yes have you noticed that it's great <laughs> yeah i take have, a real actually. strong look i go nowhere <laughs> i'm like that is not easy what life are you who's who is paying your jets to get you to thailand Every other week, I don't. I think they go there for like five days, and they went like ten years ago, and they oh, keep like using the picture every okay. like six months. I'm gonna bring up my Italy photos. Yes, now. that's what you need to do. 2011. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it was just. Ri- oh, my hair was longer. Those are extensions. Okay. No, it's just last week. You, there's a filter to that. You can add hair to oh, your on, on Instagram now. We're so screwed. Um, yeah, I just I think I'm, I want to. One last thing. I just, I think when it's harder to bring it back to full circle to how I started the interview with you, it's harder to put in the work, go to therapy or go to yoga or deal with your demons or deal with the issues that you have to deal with. That's, that takes actual work compared to manipulating and tricking people and making people think that you're really happy on Instagram. And that's primarily what people are doing. And that is the downward-facing spiritual spiral. Well, I want to backtrack. Yeah. (laughs) Because it's so funny. Um, I... I think it's just really interesting when you walk, when you came over. So right now in Los Angeles, there's terrible fires happening everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, um, I lived, I lived in LA or I lived in Malibu at the time when those fires in the mid nineties were literally coming down the mountain towards my roommate, Ed and, and our apartment and Ed, who I haven't spoken to in probably like a year texted me yesterday. He's like, Holy shit. This is reminding me of that tragedy. And that idea of being on the freeway, one way in, one way out, getting the hell out of Dodge because fires are literally coming down the mountain. I still remember in my car looking up at the side of the mountain and there's fires that are like right there. And we're going to Ed's boss's house in Santa Monica and in his apartment. And we're like, because that's, we didn't really know anybody. I'm from Ohio. I didn't really have that many friends other than my college friends, but they were all like in dorms and stuff. Mm -hmm. And fortunately his boss had a place in Santa Monica 
and we got the hell out of Dodge. And I remember standing on the pier, um, looking into Malibu, and it looked like a war zone. Mm-hmm. And how this relates to you, and and just what I was thinking about is that I was reading about you, and when you were twenty four, you had a, a dancing. You started out as a dancer. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were telling the story about how you injured yourself and you were all alone in Santa Monica in your apartment mm-hmm. and you had to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And really quickly, cause I don't want it to be too much about me, but I just, it reminded me of me. I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis as a kid and it went away. But then when I was 24 of all things, it came back and I was living in Malibu at the time and I got really sick again and I, this was before like the methotrexates and Humira and Enbrel, all these medications before Mm. people really knew what rheumatoid arthritis was. I could barely walk. My room, my, my friend downstairs had to take care of me. We're still like amazing friends. My mom ultimately came out, but I couldn't take care of myself. So I moved home. Ultimately I ended up getting better and I came back to LA like six months later. But that feeling of being alone, helpless, sick, when I read that in your bio or that article in some magazine, I, was, I, I wasn't planning on talking about this today, but I was really connected to that. So I want to know about the dancing worlds and then how about then the injury, those feelings of, of being alone in Santa Monica, mm-hmm. helpless, and then how you found yoga. But So bring me back to, to that world. What was your world like in your early 20s? What were you doing that led to that injury? Right. And then you were all alone and feeling really freaked out. Um, I moved here at 21 to dance and act professionally. Like That was my goal. I had trained my entire life. I'd come out every summer since I was 14 to train with these different choreographers. So I had um, my L.A. friends, you know, hmm. dance friends that I had either grown up with or on the competition circuit we hung out. <clears throat> and you're from Alabama. Correct, from okay. Alabama. So I came out here. All my family is still in Alabama. And uh, at 21, I just started assisting Eddie Garcia and Chris Judd. And um, Who are they? Eddie Garcia is um, a longtime choreographer in Los Angeles. Chris Judd was married to J-Lo. Oh, so they're a big deal. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So you were like a big time dancer. Oh, yeah. They were both on tour with Michael Jackson. Yeah. So I that was my training. And I, I worked with them all day long. And that was great. I loved every aspect of that. Like, I love those guys. Um, and I, at the time, so from the time I was 14 until 24, I would have muscle spasms, like extreme muscle spasms where I would be on soma and I would have acupuncture and I would body work and I'm a psoas released. And I remember I did all these different tricks to try to keep this from happening. But looking back now, Hmm. it was unavoidable. Like the way my body is built, I'm hyperflexible. And I didn't know I I was praised for continuing to be hyperflexible. So the joints that were already flexy, Mm -hmm. I would just take them to their end range and passed it over and over and over again until they just couldn't handle it anymore. My low back specifically was just wrecked. So at 24, that particular day, I woke up did a Billy Blanks workout. Oh my gosh. I, oh yeah. Then Billy Blanks wanted to train me and I was like, I don't think I'm ready for your kind of like, I don't, I can't. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. So I did a Billy Blanks workout. I went and took a dance class. I went and took a cycling class that night and then went to an 11 PM dance rehearsal for a free job. 
because that's what you do as dancers. You just do free jobs for friends and clubs or whatever, video shoots, whatever. And I remember I never met this choreographer. I did her choreography. It was so ridiculously flat fast. And I did this forward fold and my back went boom. Yeah. And I lost all my breath and fell to the ground. And I was like, that's no bueno. Yeah. Like I've had injuries, but this was major. So drove home completely cramped up my entire, my entire body cramped up and got the MRI. So I've ruptured L4, L5, S1 with complete nerve damage down my right foot. So I was on bed rest for a month and I lived by myself with this person that I'm not going to mention. He's kind of not the greatest person. It's all right. It was just a roommate choice at the time. Okay. But he, he was always gone. He worked a normal job and I, um, I was alone in that bedroom and I would have to crawl to the bathroom and I survived. This is so gross. I survived on aloe vera juice from Trader Joe's and mixed nuts. (laughs) Because I was too worried. I'm like, I can't eat too much because I can't poop. Right. So like I couldn't, my body would not function. So I how I just lived on the protein of the nuts and the aloe vera juice, hoping that it would help me like go to the bathroom. Wow. It was a mess. And that was a long time. And then I, from that point, I, I started to heal up and whatever. And I went to a PT and I saw this woman who does network spinal analysis, which is kind of like energy work. Right. Um, and I would drive out to Palisades to see her and she was always talking about yoga. And then I started kind of like dipping my toes in Kundalini. So I used to go to Guru okay. Singh. Go where? Guru Singh. Okay. Um, down on La Cienega. And it was very hardcore Kundalini. I mean, you spent the first hour in that, <laughs> you know, heated political, like stoking of the fire. And then you went into like the fire. Too much. Of fire. Too much. A lot of fire. Too much fire in those classes for me. And I was just like, what's happening? Um, and then I, then I started to transition. I was getting my health back. And then I started to use yoga, other forms of yoga as a workout. That's why yeah. I went, but I felt good. And I Where was Where did so, you go? I went, I went to Harmony Yoga and I would take Chappie's class okay. in Redondo Beach. And it was basically like, I don't even know. You, you start in like handstand. Okay. He was just out of his mind and played loud music. And I liked it because it was sweaty. Yeah. And then I would go and I started taking an Equinox and, um, Yoga works and it kind of built from there. But well, what, but like what, what happened? I mean, cause there was something that happened with me. Like what happened in your head where you go from going to class to actually like, wait, I'm actually really into this to um, I'm really, I'm, I'm actually going to become a teacher. Mm-hmm. Like what, what was going on? So I was, that was like 2006 or something. And I was at Yaz, which is a yoga and cycling studio in Abbott Kenny. It's no longer there. Okay. And I would take there religiously and they had a teacher training program, but they're, they were a very good businesswoman that mm-hmm. owned this and they knew exactly what they were doing. And they would every quarter, maybe more often, they would push their teacher training on you. Yeah. And I did the teacher training. And then when I realized I got to learn all about anatomy, I mean, quote unquote, yeah, learn about a it. Little bit it was a two week can. training, like <laughs> settle down. You know, nothing, you know, you know, like the discs, congratulations. Right. Um, I don't even know that. <laughs> <laughs> no judgment. Then they're like, then literally I graduate and they're like, okay, so you're going to start tomorrow, 6am yoga, Monday through Friday. I'm like teaching it. And they're like, yeah, because a, I'd had the experience in the acting world, B, the dance knowledge was there. I've, I've taught dance before. Like I know all those, I know all of that. And it, it came naturally to me, but I wasn't ready to teach yoga. Right. I will never forget too. I got in that room and the first thought I had was, I don't know any of these people. <laughs> I don't know any of their injuries. 
That was my first thought because as a dancer, I, I watched these kids grow up. I was day in, day out with the same students. I had them from the time they were seven until they were 11. And I knew every little inkling about them. It's amazing though that you were even aware of how old were you? You were like probably in your twenties or something. Early 20s, like well, 20s. it's amazing that you were even aware because one of my biggest issues now about yoga teachers is it's like, it's all about them. Oh God. I, but you, even at that age, you were like, huh, I don't want to hurt these people. I don't know any of their injuries. Right. That's pretty freaking awesome oh. that you actually at that early stage of practicing yoga or teaching yoga knew that it wasn't about you. <laughs> I mean, funny. I, I mean, really? No, I uh, don't know why that was. I think because my teachers tried very hard. Um, my, my first real yoga teacher was James Brown and he, um, the singer, yeah, the singer, <laughs> um, he had this studio called yoga poser and I did that through Equinox and I, he was so dedicated and so careful and so meticulous about anatomy and our bodies and what we were doing and how that I had such an appreciation for him and the way he taught. I wanted to emulate that. I mm. wanted to really keep the the sacredness of it. And, and you know, it's a hard thing to do when you don't know enough yeah. because you know, you don't know enough. And if you're honest with yourself, that's a scary place to be, which is part of my drive why I can't stop learning. Like I'm in an online training right now. I'm going to get certified for Ken Stretch in January. Like I can't, I can't stop learning hmm. because I have a deep respect for my mentors and I, I want to know all that they know. I know it's crazy. No, it's not. It's actually really admirable. Hmm. You know, I think, I think you're somebody really worth paying attention to on Instagram, Thanks. at class. Because you're, you're, you're not pretending to know everything. No, I don't. I don't. I mean, and that's, that's the thing is everybody's trying to be perfect and have the answers and right. know everything. And it's okay that you don't. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's certainly a response. Somebody told me something. Again, you know, I got into yoga teaching because um, I wanted to learn more. And I thought like, because... Out here in LA, it seems so, so many yoga teachers, there's such a huge ego going on. People yeah. care more about themselves than actually helping people. Yeah. I just thought my story could resonate with some people. And, and I'm older now and. Um, Wiser. I, I mean, it's, it's silly, but. It's true. I think when you get into something later on in life, you appreciate it more. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I even have a studio and I'm training somewhere else that's giving me the opportunity, I feel really freaking lucky. But I think. I think there's something to be said about people that still put in the work, still are trying to like learn and get better at their craft. And, and they're like comfortable with admitting, I don't know everything, but I'm going to treat your body with respect And, oh, and this is my point. Somebody told me that there's somebody in your yoga class, might not be today, but could be tomorrow, who is taking yoga because they were raped or they had an alcoholic father or they were beaten or they were in a shitty relationship. And that person could be in your class. And I'm, I don't know why I'm getting moved all of a sudden like tears, but I will never forget that person telling me that. So it's not about like somebody's ass 
or somebody looks good in fucking yoga pants, somebody's there because they were really like hurt or, and they, they trust you. And the thing about you is I feel like you don't take advantage of that. Mm. And it's really to be admired. Well, thank you. Uh, that's a powerful statement right there. And it's a hundred percent true. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I know one um, student of mine, she's also a teacher. Um, she's a great girl. And I, I know she was in a really hard relationship when she found my class, she would emphasize to me that it was like going to church for her, which I was like, that's amazing. Cause basically what I do is I go to church on Sunday, take that message, mesh it with what makes sense in my life and then just right. share it again. But, um, I never want to really take credit for that. I feel like I become kind of like a conduit for um, what's in the room. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? So, sure. I don't know how that happens or why that happens, but sometimes I can, you can, I think if you're really in tune as a teacher, you can feel the energy of the room. Like today, for instance, the energy was bananas because it was so scattered. It was like the fires. Yes. Everyone's like, am I in this room? Like, should I be taking deep breaths in this room? I don't know. Is this room safe to breathe in? Like, <laughs> You could feel That's this awesome. disconnect. Yes. And yes. I'm like, just everybody, like we're laying on our backs. You're starting with your breath. I need you to close your eyes. I need you to seal your mouth. I need you just to let you, just as a reminder, your nostrils are made to filter the air. Okay, let's just start there. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> like it just had to be brought to that place. You know, I don't know. The, yeah. Well, I'm it, I'm just really. Thank you. No, I, I, I think. um our culture has dumbed everything down and, and you, I mean, it's not about being a yogi. That that's not what it's about. It's not about like whatever that even means. I'm not sitting here to pretend that I have those expectations of people or yoga teachers. No, but people are there for some, you know, superficial stuff. They want to get six packs, but yoga still people are there for some pretty deep, heavy reasons. Mm -hmm. And the fact that, like, I think because you, you just seem to be really aware of uh, that. And I think it's interesting. I'm a DJ also. And I think there's a similar thing. That whole thing about reading a room. There's a similar thing going on there. And that's something you can't be taught. Mm -mm. And and you have it. Mm -hmm. And, And it's something that, you just what how do you how do you have that skill i think because i'm i'm interested in the experience there is something that happens in the 60 minutes or the 75 or the 90 minutes in that room that is different people are allowing themselves to be vulnerable so if you're really in tune with energy in that room you you can help shift it you mm. know what i mean yeah so I want people to feel differently when they leave than when they came in. We're all a bunch of, we're just like completely distracted and entertained at all times. Yeah. And we don't even know how to operate. Like the, I, my favorite line, you know, is when people are like, I can't meditate because I can't sit still. And I'm like, do you know why you can't sit still? Cause you're not meditating. Like it's, right. this is a cyclical thing here. This is your, your body needs a, a cool down. Just like your brain needs the, the meditation is that the medit sitting and focusing on your breath means that you can't focus on anything else. You can only have thoughts that going in one direction, right? Yeah. You're thinking about a certain thing. You keep coming back to your breath. That is like a massage for your sweet little brain. 
And we all need it. Every single person needs it. If you live in this town, you really need it. And I think when you're in tune and you can be in a room and you can let people feel their feelings and actually feel what they're feeling, change happens. And it's magical. It's it's energy. It's an energy exchange, and it's it's super cool. I, so you love you love it. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, I I was gonna ask why do you but you just answered the question with before even me. You know, like you, it feels like it feels like a calling. Yeah, I yeah. I mean, are you still dancing? No. Here's the thing. Okay, right. When I got that injury, when I ruptured all those discs, uh-huh. <laughs> I was si- I was sitting in my bed, laying in my bed, and I'm like. That's all I know. That's all I ever want to do is dance and act. Now I can't dance. I mean, like I just spent my entire 24 years training my entire life to dance. Now I can't dance. I mean, I just completely went bananas because my identity was wrapped up in dancing. Yes. Every part of who I was. So when that left, I'm like, I'm never going to feel about anything the way I felt about dance. And yoga stepped up and was like, wait a second. Wow. And it was like a, like a little, like a little step over the stream. I was like, huh. That's a, I have chills right now because it, I really thought I was screwed. I'm like, I, I know who I am. I'm a kinesthetic person. I'm passionate. I'm, I like to have fun. I like to express myself. How am I going to do that in any other element besides acting? And I can't get an agent. Like, I, I had an agent at the time, but it wasn't, I mean, it was a disaster. Anyway, there's a lot right. of things going on there. Like I was scared to audition. I couldn't do anything right. Um, but yoga, yoga did that. Like almost instantly I felt so connected and called to it. It's just godsend, really. Well, I just want to dive a little bit deeper into the world of, of, of dance. And, and I think you actually could have a lot to say or help people in that world. And sort of the perceptions and and the body image stuff going on potentially with with dance, but I and if I mean if we ultimately touch on that, great. But I, I just want to ask about like your world in Alabama and and how you got into dance, and then what actually inspired you to take the chance to come out to Los Angeles. And you said you yeah. were an you're an actor, or, or I mean, are you still doing that? Not actively. Okay, uh, but like what as a kid, what what excited you and what what brought you ultimately out to los angeles um i started dancing when i was two years old and from day one i was like this is my thing like this is who i am and um i i lived and breathed it truly and i had parents that supported that and thankfully could because that was expensive yeah (laughs) expensive passion um wait what's expensive about dancing yeah. Holy balls. It's expensive. Like the lessons, the costumes, okay. the traveling, having a solo, having to pay for that, going to a competition, having to pay for the competition, plus the hotel, plus the flight, plus the, I mean, it is, it is not cheap. Okay. Um, and I started really young and I, I was not great initially, but I was very passionate. No was, way. No, I was very, <laughs> but I remember when I wasn't good enough, I had dancers that I looked up to and I would watch them like, like I was memorizing how they did things. And mm. then the the beauty of dancers is that they can emulate, right? So I could physically emulate the way they did their head or whatever, whatever it was that I really liked in that combination, I would take it 
and I put it on. It's kind of like cues as a yoga teacher. You hear something, you're like, that's a brilliant cue. That's so visual or whatever. And you put it in your toolbox. Hmm. I did that as a dancer, put it in my, in my body box. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I got, I started getting pretty good and then I got real good. And then at that point, the director of our studio was like, we're going to Los Angeles. We go every summer and you have to be invited to go. And I got invited and I'll never forget. I was screaming and my mom was like, okay, settle down. Like, <laughs> you're 14, settle down. Right. So we went to Los Angeles for like two or three weeks and we wow. lived like 20 people in one apartment in the Oakwood and you would bring egg crates <laughs> um, this is not a joke. You would bring egg crates and you would sleep on your egg crate with your blanket and you would do five to six dance classes a day. Can you even imagine? That's insane. It was insane. So we went to go and we would train and train and train and train and sometimes audition if that came up and then train and train and train and then go back to Alabama and go back to our lives. But yeah. so I did every summer from the time I was 14 until the time I moved. When you were, when, when did you move? 21, I think. Okay. In 2000. So you'd like, um, did you come out here to go to college or it was specifically to, so to, to I, dance? I, the deal I made with my parents was yeah. that because they're like, you're not emotionally mature enough to go <laughs> to Los Angeles. And I was like, you don't know me. And then they said, here's a deal, young lady. Um, you're going to live in our house and you can go to the University of Alabama, Birmingham, which PS is a medical school. And I was studying theater. So just <laughs> put that in your pipe and smoke that. So that's where I was. And then every summer they're like, we will pay for you to go out to Los Angeles and you can stay for three months. And I was like, done. Wow. So I did that for a couple of years, but I had a friend who lived in LA who was working for ICM at the time. And he would try and get me these auditions. And one time he's like, they want you, they want you. They don't want anybody else. They don't want this Miss America contestant. They don't want this E news reporter. They just want to see you. So you have to fly out here. And I'm like, obviously Hollywood needs me. <laughs> right. And so I came out and I didn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, well, but I need to stay in case this ever happens again. And so we had a big discussion, right. came home. I moved out here and my mom's like, well, you got to finish college at some point. And I'm like, at some point I will. So I took a six year hiatus, danced professionally. I did a lot of features and commercials and live shows. And, um, what was like your crowning moment as a, as an actor? Um, as an actor, not, well, eh. there must've been something. I was on like was- a soap opera as an actor. And then I did a lot of like independent films and then how about as a dancer, you're crowning, like what was, what's your biggest achievement as a dancer that you're most proud of? Oh no. Okay. Well, this is not in my, this is, this is beautiful. Cause it's life stuff. When I was 18, I wrote a letter to Ani DeFranco who I was obsessed with. Right. And I said, we're dancers at this studio in Alabama. We want to perform for you. Here's a video of our latest combination to your song. And I drew her picture and I sent it off to her and I didn't hear from anyone for like months. And then her, her, um, what do you call it? Manager, tour manager sure. called me two days before and is like, Ani loves the video. Ani is obsessed with you guys. She wants you to perform on stage in Alabama at her concert oh in two days. Oh my God. And I was like, done, done, done. And at the time I'm the lead in some, um, and what's it called? <laughs> a midsummer night's dream for the theater, right? Like I'm a Helena, like I have to be on stage. I miss dress rehearsal of the, the fucking play <laughs> that I'm the lead of. To go dance on stage with her. And to this day, out of all the paying jobs, working with all the celebrities and having these incredible memories, that was the most powerful because she was such an icon to me and I did it on my own and I did it without an agent and I did it out of passion. And it was like, it worked. Yeah. And it, that's my favorite. That's a huge deal. Mm -hmm. Ani DeFranco. She was like, she was like the, 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 um, 
the super alternative of that Lilith Fair like world. Oh, like there no. was the Sarah McLaughlin, Joan Osborne, but was- but Ani was like. I respected her because she was like, she had her own, she was, she had her own label. label. Yes. Babe. I know everything a, about her. That was a big deal. Yes, I know. It was huge. Yeah. And, and I, I, the best part, Eddie was like, when I was on stage, I've never, obviously I was 18. So I'd never been on stage for like with a rock star. Yeah. I see, I see why all rock stars are either addicts or out of their minds because the amount you can't even, I can't even put it into words. The amount of love that comes off and into that stage, yeah. it feels like a tidal wave of energy and love. And I will never forget it. Hmm. I mean, again, I have chill bumps because I was like, no wonder I remember dancing thinking, no wonder it all makes sense. Like anyone, I should probably ask some of my friends that were like backup dancers on tour. I never went on tour, but like I have a friend who dances for Beyonce right now. Hmm. And I'd be so curious because I'm sure she must feel it. It is in a, to like the nth degree. There was only like a thousand people at Ani's concert. <laughs> right. But it was, it felt like, uh, I don't have words. Energy is real. Energy is a it thing is. and it is real and it's palpable and it is, um, yeah, it's nuts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it makes sense though. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a singer, I'm a musician and I got into DJing a few years ago because people don't really pay for music much anymore, but yeah. that people out here in LA bars and restaurants still really appreciate DJs mm-hmm. and I teach yoga, but the thing I'll just talk about DJing and yoga. They do really, you, you, as a yoga teacher, as a performer, there is a performance aspect to it. For sure. I mean, you need to, like people are counting on you to create an atmosphere where they can do their thing, whatever that could be. Mm-hmm. And it just makes sense that you found yoga from that world of dance because there is still you are creating energy and you are feeding off of the energy. And that's, you know, I asked you earlier about like being aware of the room. And it may, I think it makes sense that you're doing that now. It, it does. And I remember my, my ex-husband was a basketball player and he wound up with the exact same injury I had years after I had it. And I knew the minute that he got that injury, I was like, dark hole, dark hole alert, because he was an athlete in his entire existence. He had done exactly what I had done. He had trained his entire life to be a basketball player. He was very good, got injured and it changed everything. And I remember him specifically saying at one point we were arguing and he's like, you found a replacement. He's like, I'll never find a replacement. You found a replacement for dance. Wow. And I was like, oh, he's right. My biggest fear was that I wasn't going to find something to replace the joy and the passion and the expression. And I did. I, I, yoga was that for me. It, it, it didn't completely, it's a little bit different, but so many similarities that it did the trick. And he still, to this day, it was just downhill from there for wow. him because he, he needed that. He needed that outlet. He just didn't want to take off the cape. You know what I mean? Sure. Athletes. There comes a point. My, my current boyfriend who's amazing was also a professional athlete. Maybe I have a type, <laughs> <laughs> but he made a really good point. He's like, I knew the day he's like, I remember it clearly when I had to take off the cape and be like, I'm not the quarterback anymore. I, I'm just this guy who's got to figure out what my strengths are, what I'm passionate about and what I can do to like serve. Yeah. And so, you know, he's fine. He's tremendous. He's like totally 
on the up and up. Whereas my ex-husband who didn't take the cape off and couldn't figure it out is just still struggling. And it's heartbreaking because no matter what you're going through in life, if you, if you find that thing that lights you up and brings you alive and you ride that you're set, Hmm. you're really set. If it's three different things, terrific, even better. Totally. Yes. I mean, if it's writing, it doesn't have to be one. No way. Yeah. I I used to think it did. I used to. As well, yes. I used to as well because I was like, I have to choose dance or acting. And that's actually a it act, that's actually a crux. Oh, hundred percent. It actually it's it's not giving you enough freedom and, no. and credit to to embrace all of them. Yeah, I really limited myself. The same. Yes, it was the same. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, hindsight. Yeah. Well, I. Last thing before we move on to um, this article, and I want to talk about, well, I don't want to ruin it. I don't want to give it away. It's, it's keeping people on the edge of their seat. As a dancer, though, uh-huh. and the injuries and the, and, and, the, and the drama that probably came in that world, mm-hmm. how do you, like, can you bring that sort of compassion and experience do you bring that into the yoga room? And when you see like ex dancers that are using yoga to sort of heal their bodies. And I mean, how does that, how do you connect with that? Or, or can you see it? Or, or you know what I'm asking? Yeah. I'm doing a terrible job of asking the question, <laughs> but um, what, how are you using that history of yours and bringing that into the room? I use that with, um, uh, it's usually the hyper flexible people because I can recognize them right away. I can right. tell by the way they move. I can tell by you know the structure of their feet. I can tell a lot if if you've been a dancer, or you're a trained gymnast or something because we move very differently because it's it's almost three dimensional. It's second nature. It's it's in our bodies. Um, it's uploaded into our neurology different because it was there from a very young age. So a civilian person that's coming to yoga that's working to you know to because there was a bad breakup is one thing a, a dancer ex gymnast ex contortionist whatever you are mm-hmm. still doing any of those things coming to yoga it's a different beast and i always move from the place of having been injured and the science that i know now i wish to god i knew the science of mobility health like uh, not joint health and mobility work and training back then because i could have avoided a lot of injury yeah if I had just seen the science, I just looked at it as passionate. And there, you know, it's not even my fault, really, because at that time you were praised for, um, and it's just, I guess it's still the same. I, I hear it's changing in the dance world, that there's a little bit more education. They're, they're pushing these girls and boys into like more PT-driven programs so that they can protect their joints. I mean, it is not uncommon for a dancer to have a full hip replacement and knee replacement. So is it really pretty bad for the body to be a oh. dancer? Yeah. And in the way that, here's the thing, this is how Hunter explains it. I just don't know. So please. Well, yeah. You're, it, it, you could be a dancer. You could be a pitcher. You could be a, a okay. basketball player, sure. whatever you are, the better skilled you are at that sport or that craft, the less human you become. Because as a dancer, all we did was externally rotate. We did develop active body control by lifting the leg and holding it up there with the strength of the regressive tissues. Like we learned how to do that, right. whether we realized it was happening, but we spend our entire lives with our legs Externally rotated, never did you internally rotate anything. No. So you have a massive imbalance in the hips, nonetheless, right? So the whole body, the upper, the lower, uh, the lower back is completely fucked because the hips don't know how to operate like hips. 
Right. The knees go out because the hips don't know how to operate like hips. So it's a, it's just this kind of like a, a puzzle. It's like a Jenga thing. Just waiting. <laughs> What's that one? What is the game where you pull the thing out? Is that Jenga? Yeah, Jenga. I never played it. We're actually playing it right now while we're doing this interview. I literally <laughs> like the look. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that is, so when I see, just to get back to your question, when I see a dancer or someone of that mentality in my class, I really keep an eye on them and yeah. I want to make sure that they're connecting on the spiritual side of things because we'll get so caught up in the physical yes. that we don't, we don't realize we can't separate them as easily. Yeah. It becomes it becomes training. It becomes performance. Right. For us. Before we move on, I just want you to give, like, you keep bringing up the name Hunter. And yeah. I have a lot of people that are listening mm-hmm. that like, who the heck is Hunter? So I, he's a big deal for you and for a lot of people in LA mm-hmm. that are in the yoga world and mm-hmm. the mobility world. So who is he? Um, give him the credit he deserves because you know him much better than I do. Yeah. Um, Hunter Cook is a master instructor for the functional range systems. So he is my mentor, my mobility coach. Um, he lives in Long Beach. He does uh, kin stretch classes, which is FRC's kind of solution to a group class format. The, the whole idea with FRC is that you are an individual. So you, Eddie, would have to have your full body assessed, and then you would be given homework to mm. do to help your range of motion, whatever that might be. Right. And the classes that he publicly teaches are kind of like um, the best solution to that. I will tell you, though, every time I go... There's more and more yoga teachers in that room. Interesting. Calvin, I profile yoga teachers, Calvin being one of them. Well, yeah, he's asked me to go with him. Like, mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm going to go with you guys one okay, of these good. days. I'll see you there. Seriously. Because I yeah. feel like you are on a whole other world of knowledge. I'm trying because it's changed, it, it's changed the way I view everything. Yeah. I, I, am, I could not be more grateful for that system. Really. Cool. Well, this last like two segments, I want to talk about social media and marketing. And we have a mutual friend who talks a lot about marketing on Instagram. And it, and I think it's a big marketing is obviously a huge deal because as a yoga teacher, as a DJ, a musician, um, part of the reason why I'm doing the podcast and I've been very transparent about it is I'm I'm writing a book and and. And it's a satire about our fucked up culture. And there's so much to make fun of now. But I felt like creating a podcast is sort of, you know, kind of marketing, but it's also getting people to hear what I'm actually really about behind all the satire. Um, But I, I do think Instagram is fucking up our world in a big way. And we've already talked about it. But I've been, one of my friends is really a huge podcast person and she just started listening and she sent me this from Seth Godin. Yeah. 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 I, yeah, I read his stuff. That's good. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. I'm really, well, one of my friends, Tony was on last week and I complimented him for coming on. And I felt like, well, I felt like what I'm doing is kind of inspiring some people because he's really like caught on to the conversations I'm having And then he said, well, it's working for the weak-minded. And he laughed a little bit. But what I think is going on is people are taking advantage of the weak-minded. So I'm setting that as a little bit of a seed. And then I want to read this. It's not terribly long. It's like three, four paragraphs. When your ideas are spreading, when your work is remarkable, when your organization is built a social ratchet that works, 
One of the side effects will be a significant social media presence. People will talk about you in ways that they like to talk online. On the other hand, if you spend all your time beginning at the end, grooming your social network, tweezing your Insta posts, hyping your tweets, nothing much is going to happen. So the simple proof of this is that brands with 10 or 20 times the social media impact almost never have 10 or 20 times as many people working as quote-unquote social media specialists. And worth noting, the Mona Lisa has a huge social media presence. Her picture is everywhere, but she doesn't tweet. She's big on social media because she's an icon, but she's not an icon because she's big on social media. The narrative of social media grooming is a seductive one, but it's as much of a dead end as spending an extra hour picking out which tie to wear before giving a speech. So we have a mutual friend, and he's not the only one. There's, there's a lot that it's almost like how to use Instagram to build your business is become a huge deal. And people are making, I guess, a decent living. And there's one guy based in Florida, uh, Ryan Mangin, who his whole thing is like, make $100,000 through a small amount of followers on Instagram. And I, I kind of like got brainwashed by this. Like I, I almost went to his conference in Florida like a month ago because I felt the way for me to stand out is to be flashier, quicker edits on Instagram, um, buy a, that camera that goes underwater, all the GoPro, you know, like do that to stand out. I, I don't know. I was having a conversation with a friend and or something else was going on where I was like, wait a second, what am I doing? I'm getting tricked. I'm one of the weak minded. I'm these people are taking advantage of a culture, in my opinion, that is spending the vast majority of time on Instagram and who's spending the vast majority of time on Instagram. The ones who don't have a passion like teaching yoga, writing a book, being a DJ, being a mother or father, which takes time and work and energy. And to become a great guitar player takes, as they say, 10,000 hours. And I realized, what the hell am I doing? And I'm not like trying to be like, I'm the Mona Lisa, but if my work is that amazing people will start to take notice whether you're flashy wearing some fucking cool pants or, you know, lots of edits and something. And so how this relates to us and you is I think as a culture, we're becoming obsessed with minutia with stuff that doesn't matter. And the people that are getting all the attention are the ones that are speaking the loudest, that are showing off their ass or their tits like people on Aloe Yoga or Nike hiring Colin Kaepernick to be in their campaign. And the quality of our work, the quality of our yoga teachers, the quality of whatever artistically is going down. And that's, you know, obviously a huge theme of my show. So 
I know you want to read a quote, but what are you thinking right now as I'm you know, saying these, these thoughts? I think you're hitting the nail on the head with that. I, um, I don't demonize anybody because if your passion is teaching people marketing and you believe that to be true, then that is what it is. I think um, I have to take everything with a grain of salt because I know who I am and I have integrity and I have character and I know that some things um, that, that work for others aren't going to work for me. And I have to honor that and be okay with it. I also know that exactly what that, what Seth said there, um, the content's going to speak for itself. Right. Like the people that I follow, I follow them. The people that I, that I really care about that I check in with every day, I follow them because I know their content is good. It's either making me laugh, it's educating me, or it inspires me to some degree. And those are the people I check in with. And they have a range of followers. Hmm. Most of them pretty pretty solid following because they're giving me something of value. If you're giving me a tweaked photo of your scorpion, I could give two shits. I've seen it. Yeah. I don't I don't know what else to say about that. You know what I mean? Like I just don't care. That does that doesn't mean that other people don't care, but that's how I feel. And when it comes down to marketing or it comes down, I feel like I'm behind because I should be selling things to the audience that I have. And I have a bunch of emails and I have content to share, but I'm so caught up in this current chapter of my life in education that I can't get beyond that right now. I I am learning new ways to view the body. I'm learning new ways to be a better teacher. And I'm doing bits by bits. Like I'm doing a workshop in Alabama that I agreed to. I was so nervous to do that because something about going back to your hometown and like being considered a, a pro or an expert on something. I'm like, Oh yeah. But I have still more to learn. Like, don't take everything, you know. So, but that that's a step in the right direction for me. That's a that's a step for me owning my content and working with the people that are interested in what I've got to tell them. But before Instagram and social media, people got more clients through word of mouth. And, yeah, and, and like, true. And to me, the cream always rises to the top, typically. But now... Because of Instagram, we can all get tricked into thinking that this person has their shit together or they know everything. And because we don't have the time to like research somebody or go, we're trusting things like Instagram instead of the, the actual experience. Yeah. And like you're, you're at this PT place Mm -hmm. and you're, teaching a playlist. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I mean, yeah, I, I, you should obviously be marketing, but I also believe that it's going to sort of, it's easier to like create a persona and be flashy and seem to like be cool and stand out than to put in the work. And then over time, people are going to find out about you um, but maybe the Instagram like rushes the process or something. What's the, what's the, what's the solution? I th- yeah, I can see what you're saying. I do think that Instagram rushes the process. If you have content, that's a value. Okay. Because if you don't, people get bored with that. Right. And I, I was sucked in for a while with certain accounts and then I'm like, what am I getting out of this? Oh wait, I feel shitty every time I see your photo. Yeah. Interesting. And I had to really label it like that because some of these people are my friends and I'm like, I can't just can't do it anymore. I have to just swipe or scroll or whatever. 
I totally lost my train of thought that I was going to make a point about having content. Gosh darn it. Antibiotics. But that's the, <laughs> but that's the thing. And I said it before. Um, instead of creating something that's really good, and I know it's a balance. You know, you have to do a little bit of marketing, but you also have to train and get better at your craft, whatever that can be. But I think the result of Instagram is most people are now just trying to be flashy and stand out and show off their body or swear a lot mm-hmm. and manipulate the weak-minded and either get their money or get them to think that their life could be better. And then they and start to lose track. They start to get insecure and they stop to, they stop so here's my two cents on that. Yeah. I, I think everyone's life can get better. Yes. And I fully 100% believe that. I think that is, um, that's a growth mindset. Like I, there's a book called Mindset and it changed the way I just see everything. I was like, when I have my child, I remember, I think I read it when I was pregnant. I'm like, please God, let him have a growth mindset. Like, how am I going to deal? Um, <laughs> because I'm obsessed with it. Because here's why you, you really are, you're living in your head. So the boundaries mm-hmm. that you create, this the, the four walls of your cranium where all the goings on happen, you are living in your head. And if you're, if you've closed it off, if you shut the windows, if you turn the air conditioning off, you're boiling up in this dark room because that's what you've built for yourself. That's what you've built for yourself. doesn't matter what's going on. You could be in Malibu on the beach when it's not burning. Right. You could be there enjoying your life or you could be there living in a dark room with no AC, no light, no nothing. Yeah. It is it is a place inside of you that has to be addressed. And that's to me, whatever's going on on social media, if the if the root of the problem, if you are not whole, then it's going to just eat away at you that much more. So if you're quote unquote weak minded and you're trying to figure out the fix, what is the reason? What is your what is your motivation? Money? That's great, but you're not going to be fulfilled. So you're probably going to make money at some point, God willing, and then you're going to realize that you're still empty. So yeah. it's got to be something that you care about. And it's got to be something that lights you up. Like that's, to me, you're not weak-minded if you know what lights you up and you can follow that path. If you, There's going to be a lot of voices along the route, right? There's people trying to feed you stuff and sway you and persuade you and influence you. And you can take that fruit or you could just listen to it, listen to the sales pitch. Be like, oh, that might make sense. I'll try yeah. it. But you're staying in your lane. You know what I mean? Like you're on your path Hmm. doing what lights you up. And then I, I don't know. I think I'm off topic now. Well, but I know you're, you know, and I want to end this thing by saying this one thing. I, I sounded so smart there. I said, I want to end this thing with this thing. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I'm, you know, somebody said to me, well, you're talking about Instagram and how it's fucking everything up, but you're not providing a solution. I think we just figured it out. You have to be really aware of who you're following because if you're not, they're going to actually make you feel like shit. Yes. And you, and even if they're your friends, if they're making quote unquote friends, even if they're making you feel like shit, mm-hmm. unfollow them. Bah. We just figured it out. We didn't. Yeah. And I, I, I'm one last topic, but before we get to that, you you did talk about like some people. We don't have to get too specific about people that you that are like in your business in your world that that you unfollowed. Yeah. Because tell me about that. Like why um, why did you make this conscious decision to? Because 
I think that's the thing. You just, you want to feel inspired by it. Yeah. And so I told you prior to recording that I listened to like two podcasts. (laughs) One is Impact Theory with Tom Bilyeu. I listen to that every single day. Impact Theory? mm -hmm. Okay. And the second one is um, Playbook with David Meltzer, who, P.S., oh, this is so exciting. My boyfriend and I get to shadow him and go through a whole day with him and like the like right before Thanksgiving. I'm beyond. I'm so, so excited. Cool. He's an incredible entrepreneur. So brilliant. He's the one. He's the one. I have to read this quote. Oh, wait. Quote. This is, yeah, you were going to... Okay. Well, okay, there's two quotes. Yeah, you had that other quote about our society yes. that connected with my Seth Godin quote, and we forgot about it. So, okay. um, oh, Which gosh. Which one do I say? Well, um... Well, let me just finish. Sorry. David Meltzer. Yes. It's fine. Okay. David Meltzer, the guy that has the playbook um, podcast that I'm uh, shadowing. He's, this is his, his tagline, and it just it blew me away. Happiness is the consistent, meaning every day, persistent, meaning never give up, enjoyment of the pursuit of my potential or my truth. Hmm. I was like. That's it. That is it. The enjoyment of the pursuit of my potential. Like, you don't need to be perfect right now, but you got to enjoy the ride on your way there. What does that mean? That means educating, getting inspired, um, failing, fucking failing. Yeah, staying curious. Staying curious, all of that, right? So I'm just so excited to like meet him in person. You have no idea. Um, wow. But the other quote that my friend had made about Denmark. Well, so wait. <laughs> before, yeah, we'll go to the last topic. But, be- but before, um, no, because before and Nicole and I were talking about some quotes. So I brought up that quote from Seth Godin about our culture and our obsession with, with Instagram and two personas. And then, so Nicole was inspired to read this quote on the air as well. Um, my ex dance partner from when I was a little, little lady, um, Robert Hoffman, who's a choreographer and dancer and actor and everything else has been traveling the world. He's in Denmark and he posted this on the gram. (sighs) I mean, we just can't get away from it. He said, Denmark isn't different. It's completely different than anywhere else. The innumerable and unmistakable negative social nuances we accept as being quote, normal daily life became so clear to me after just a few days, if not hours in Denmark, when every passing moment you are bombarded by people's reactions and impulses that are completely different than what you would expect. And almost always for the better, it becomes hard to take people and countries elsewhere. Very seriously. Summary. We love and are addicted to the shit stew that we each refuse to admit we collectively perpetuate. It's America's thing. They don't have a thing. They being Denmark. Mm-hmm. I mean, what that, you- that just sums it all up. And I know that I'm not onto anything new here you know, about talking about Instagram, but Instagram to me has like taken it to that next level, that next notch. And I think, you know, yoga is about awareness. I mean, it, it can be about so much. But I talk about, I mean, that's my only issue with like, only focusing on the physical. Sure, we all want to have healthy bodies. But to me, that part in class, and I sent that, said this in my email, where you're lying in Shavasana at the end, there's no distractions. I don't want people that are in their 30s or 40s or 50s, 60s or 70s or 80s, to stop dreaming, to stop staying curious, to stop listening to that voice. Mm -hmm. And that voice now is fucking like so smashed down by the onslaught of everything going on. 
So as a yoga teacher, why I respect you so much, because it's not just the physical. That last five minutes of class is so valuable because it's like waking up in the morning with a fresh start. And it's like you're not being influenced by somebody's Instagram. You're alone with your own thoughts. And I think now more than ever, we need more of those moments in our lives. So uh, last segment here. It's funny, um, before the, this, obviously Thanksgiving is like in a week or two. Oh my God. So I don't think I'm going to have a guest on that week. So this, this interview is actually going to be five hours long to make up for it. So we're halfway done. We only have two hours to go. No, we're like, I think we're like an hour and 20 minutes in. So uh, Nicole just like freaked out. She's like, get me out of here. I'm like, I have plans for it. So um, last segment, and then um, we can move on and go outside to the terrible air that's waiting for us. Ugh. So again, Seth Godin. If you don't know him, um, I just found out about him this last week. And I he he was on a podcast and he was... And they were talking, ironically, about Instagram slightly and raising um, a child in this culture. And you have a, a son, five-year-old son. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, just one sentence that Seth said that I, I really resonated with, and I'm sure as a parent you will. He said, the easiest thing a parent could do is give a device to their kid. And then he also said, keep in mind that things like Instagram Stock option motivated social media designers know exactly how to manipulate dopamine hits. So, I mean, again, Instagram is being run by these stock option motivated social media uh, designers. So, knowing the world that we live in now, and you have a five year old son, what are you doing to manage that? And can you? And the funny thing is, yeah. though, about your Instagram, you do sometimes post funny stories with him, and they're completely uh-huh. adorable. Mm-hmm. And you showed like that that post of the things he's worn or he's dressed up as yes. as Halloween, which it's funny. Like all in my mind, all of this stuff is hysterical and cool because you're proud mm-hmm. and you're a parent, and and you're adding levity and fun. But I mean. What is what is his relationship with with it, and and does he have a phone yet, or what? Like, that's, that's a, like what? But what are you going to do, or what are you trying to do? Yeah, um, I I hate the devices, and I limit his. So he doesn't get the my phone or an iPad unless he doesn't get the iPad unless we're on an airplane, hmm. and then it's just a freaking free for all. Anything <laughs> can happen on an airplane. Do you understand? They, they're they just cannot be trusted. You have to give them a device on an airplane. It makes sense though. No, yeah. I tell you why, because when he was three and I didn't give him a device, even though he wanted one, no two, he was two and a half. He kept dropping hot wheels on the woman's head in front of me. And <laughs> yes. I wanted to die. I didn't have a device at that time. Cause I didn't even know like that. You, Cause you weren't supposed to let them watch anything before they were after like, you can't before they're two and a half years old or something. Yeah, but whoever said that was not on an airplane. <laughs> like no, they weren't. And guess what? I was following the rules. And I'm like, sorry, he's only two and a half. He can't be in front of a screen yet. But it said in the, in the medical journal. Right. Anyway, I, so he sees, um, he sees my phone. If it's an emergency situation, like there have been times where I've had to take him to playlists because there's been a snafu in childcare. And then he gets to play my phone for an hour and it's the best fucking day of his life. Right. And then I have to pull the phone away from him 
I'm not kidding. His cheeks are on fire. His hands are sticky. Yes. He's an ass. He's an <laughs> ass for the next hour because he's so cracked out yes. from whatever that was feeding him and whatever it was doing chemically to his poor, sweet little brain. And he's also like posting weird Instagram posts on your account, by the way. I don't know if you know that. He doesn't that. go on to Instagram <laughs> no, yet. Go, but he will be like, um, when I make those videos, if he hears me, he's like, oh, I want to be in it. And I'm like, oh, dear God. So he, I mean, that's a personality type. Yeah, but he knows like what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And does mm-hmm. and, and and he does he, he love like the attention? He, he wants a YouTube channel. He wants yes. people. He told me that he wanted people to see him do Michael Jackson show performances, and he wanted a, a YouTube channel. Now he knows about this because his father. We have different views. <laughs> Let's him watch uh, whatever it's some like happy J- some YouTube family show. Which I don't. I don't let him watch anything other than <laughs> this is so embarrassing. A Netflix show called Catching Monsters, which is about this guy, Cyril, who goes around the world and catches like ec- like sharks and fish and then lets them go. So he's basically oh watching a gi- this crazy fishing show. He's obsessed with that. I let him watch that because I'd rather watch, have him watch something that has to do with nature, that has to do with um, g- g- animals. He's learning sure. about, he's learning about um, fish or whatnot. And he's also... This guy's got a lot of information to offer. He's seen a lot of different cultures. He's seen Native Americans. He's going all over the world. I see, the other day, he's like, Mom, can we just uh, go ice fishing? I was like, eh, <laughs> not in this century. Not I don't quite. know who's taking you ice fishing. But, you know, it, that is, I'll let him watch that, you know, for uh, whatever, a show, if he needs to watch a show. But I, 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 I'm a hard no on all the other stuff because it freaks me out. And he loves it. He knows it makes me crazy because he'll be like, I just want to play Minecraft. I just want to play Minecraft. What about, I got to tell you something that happened in Zelda. I'm like, how do you know about the Legend of Zelda? I've right. played the Legend of Zelda. Yes. I played I get on really the frustrated, console, but yeah. All it is is conversations. Like there's a kid at his school who I've seen him interact with who only talks about weapons. Oh God. From a video game. And yeah. this kid is like, I don't know, six, seven years old. And I'm just like, why does that child, why is that child able to use those words and reference that? And then Bo picks it up and then he starts talking like that and they're playing it on the playground. And I realize boys are going to be boys and this is partly unavoidable, but it is also completely up to us. Like what these children are watching is completely up to us. Well, he, if we're going to be that lazy, we can at least decide what they're watching. Well, and Seth said something else. Oh yeah. I, I'll paraphrase. He basically said all kids are actually homeschooled. Because the schooling, because yes, yes. the schooling is actually yep. from like three p.m. until like seven in the morning when your son or daughter goes to school. So, right. you know, people will like throw it at the public school system nope. or the teachers nope. that that's just bullshit. It that's is. just like letting go of your responsibility as yeah. a parent. And you bring up like the gun and video games. I mean, I don't want this to get too political and about guns, but I've always felt for the longest time that our culture, the violence and the video games and, and parents letting their kids go to super violent, like, like you can't see boobs in our culture uh, at the movies or they say that's like NC 17 or X, but go ahead and see like heads getting chopped off yeah. and that's totally okay. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it does actually have an impact on children's brains and, and, and I'm interested. So that like that day at playlist where Bo had your phone for an hour mm-hmm. and then you had to take it away from him. And it's so, like, what, what's the reaction? What's going on when, when he's on the phone like that for an hour and, and using he's, it? N- there could be a tornado in his face and he wouldn't see it. Yeah. I mean, he, I'll be like, oh, so-and-so's talking to you. So-and-so, Bo, put the phone down. So-and-so's talking to you. And he'll be like, hi, <laughs> go right back down to it. Yeah. And it's, it's crack. It's, it's crack. 
Yes. It's crack for their little brains. It's crack for our brains, but we're adapting differently. You know, I, I'm just a real proponent of, I'd be like, go outside, use your body, go outside. You have Legos, go build something. And, and he knows that in my house, that's, that's what we do. When he's with his dad, I, you know, I can't be in charge of that, but I, but I can monitor what he does in my house. And I, I just stand by it. it. It's harder. It's harder for me because that means that instead of working or writing the thing or doing that, whatever I have to do, I have to do, I'm reading Harry Potter. Yeah. I'm on the ground reading Harry Potter when I'm like, okay, I just, all I need to do is finish that playlist and write an invoice for such and such. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, he's like, we read to me and I'm like, yes, I never say no. And I, that's hard. Whenever he asks me to read to him, I stop what I'm doing and I say yes, because I would much rather him value language and words and reading over anything else. Yes. Because it's just lost and it's. But that's the thing. You have to say no. You do. And the one issue that I have that in, with yoga teachers and this culture, like everything's okay. Everything's fine. It's all good. And it's actually fucking everything up. And you have to say no. And you have to say that, you know, whatever, that's actually fucking shit up. And the ability to say no is actually a great lesson. Not only for you just to say no, but for the person who's hearing it. It just gives you more yeses in the long run. You say no. You say no for the things that are not going to serve you and lift you up. And that's how I feel about electronics. That's how I feel about relationships, jobs. It's all the same. It's all the same thing. Yeah. It's got to light you up, put you on fire and make you something like, like David Meltzer said, you have to enjoy the pursuit of your potential. Wow. Mm-hmm. It's good. Yeah, it really is. Just tattoo that on our bodies. I think in closing and I, for whatever reason, I, I'm, I'm thinking about the work it takes, and it's going to be a lot of work for you for the next, he's five. Mm. I mean, obviously, it's a lifelong <laughs> yes. job. I signed up. Yes. But, you know, this next 13 years until he goes to school and, mm-hmm. or college and, and saying no and navigating that, you know, it parallels, you know, as Seth said, it's, it's easy to just give them the device and go in the other room and do whatever you're supposed whatever else you should be doing. Mm -hmm. It's easy to spend an hour scrolling away at Instagram. It's easy to get caught up in all that. But back as when I said the beginning of the interview and the mad respect that I have for you is that you're going down the path that takes more work and it's not easy and the vast majority of our culture is it's going down the easy path. But when I, I get it. I understand. It's a lot of work to say no or to look at yourself or want more, want better, mm-hmm. want to help people grow, change. I mean, all of that takes time and energy and work. So what's next for you? Um, just at, in, in the... in. Like, what are you, what are you hoping in closing, um, five years from now? Like, seriously, I think, but I think five years is a good. I thought you of, meant like when this interview ends in five years, I thought you were making, <laughs> oh, I thought you were referencing great. that joke. Again. Like, oh, that's, we have only five hours to go. <laughs> oh God, that's not going to happen. I promise you. No, I just, but somebody actually complimented me and my guests 
Because people, some people were saying, you know, your show should be just 30 minutes or 45 minutes. But then somebody came on, or she, and I'm going to trust her, the podcast like person who listens. She's like, no, you have a way, you your do. guests, and you have, she's like, you're a natural interviewer. Yeah, I was going to say, this and is I, one of my favorite podcasts that I've done. I've done a handful. <laughs> okay, and I cool. tell you, you've actually done two, and this is her favorite one. <laughs> No, I, but I'm not trying to like, talk. Just, I've done five. Okay. Fucker. This is why I'm complimenting you is that you create a conversation. So exactly what you were saying, the art yes. of conversation is lost. That's what you're honing and bringing out of me, which makes this interview so much more easy to listen to. I hope yes. but I think about those other interviews. I'm like, they feel so choppy and I felt cracked out and like I was trying to hit all my points. Um, but you've made it, you've allowed it to happen organically and let it just kind of cool, you know? Yeah. Well, in closing, because yes. I want to, I'm going to, you know, I want people to follow you and, and oh. know about you, but what do you, like, what do you want from everything that we've talked about? Where are you hoping to be professionally, creatively in five years? I want to be, um, I want to be, um, an Instagram influencer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's no, it. Yes. But we I, all want to be Instagram influencers. No, exactly. I d- I want to have a platform that is large enough that I can help more people, whether that's through mobility, whether that's helping teachers understand mobility and how to incorporate it into yoga, whether that's being on a safari and doing a retreat in South Africa with my friend Dolvet, who I really would like him to hire me so that I could work. (laughs) Um, I just, I have a lot of goals. I I want, I want big picture stuff and I, um, I know I can get there because I love what I do and I'm, I'm putting in the work. So, you know, I might be 60, I might be like a 60 year old, like, yeah, no, it might take a minute. Might yeah. be five years, but it, I'm. Yeah, just, I just I just enjoy I just enjoy helping people feel better and educate them on their bodies. Okay, because arthritis is like osteoarthritis is like the number one thing. I, I want to say disease is it the one thing that we can that's taking people down? Is it heart disease? Whatever osteoarthritis is right up there, and that can be I don't want to say cured, but it can be delayed tremendously by simple articulation of joints hmm. the way we sit the way we do the, the positioning of our body and the fact that we're not hunting and gathering and reproducing every single moment of every single day is affecting everything and we can we can avoid that we can live longer we can live better yes and do what we love and be comfortable in our skin and use the right filters on instagram and don't forget your filters yes i'm ha- i told i had a plastic surgeon on a few weeks ago it's actually a great interview but um i ultimately decided to get those filters implanted into my eyes so i'm actually looking at you through a filter right well, now well you know i really appreciate that i bet i look amazing <laughs> you do you do thank you thank and you. you and thanks to these filters and the the band-aid that's over your eye right now <laughs> See, I don't know what's going on right now. Okay, but. I have a questionable thing. That's why I'm on the antibiotics. No one knows what it is. It's like a spider bite, but not. It's very confusing. I'm a medical mystery. Yes. And a freak show because I'm walking around with a Band-Aid on my eyebrow. And, and a, <laughs> so, and a well-trained, really, really smart, really amazing, really intelligent, articulate, full of energy, passion, curiosity, wanting to learn more. I mean, seriously, that's you. Thanks, man. And I'm Nicole Shaka, but this is crazy because you're going to have to spell that because it it doesn't spell any, or it doesn't. It's Sicilian. (laughs) So Nicole Shaka. So please spell that. It's spelled S-C-I-A-C-C-A, just like it sounds. Cool. 
And Nicole is spelled. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Nicole is spelled yeah. R. <laughs> and so you can find her on Instagram, Nicole. One more time, just I want people. Nicole Shaka, just my full name. Cool. And yeah. And then you can take her class at um, Playlist and Equinox in Culver City and Victory Performance Physical Therapy in Culver City and that's it right i'm on a i'm on two platforms i'm on ice water yoga online yoga and then i'm on aptive and that really that's a secret i go out i go live tomorrow oh, so cool. i have like 25 classes on aptive which is i think the biggest audio fitness app there is out there wow um it's really exciting so i'm going to be on that program as well i'm doing meditations stretching and yoga on that program give me like just one sentence in your meditation voice like because they're going to hear it like through headphones. I'm going to need you guys to sit down on a little bit. What is that ASMR or what is it when people like listen to people swallow or listen to people unwrap things? What is that? No, it's a no fetish. Idea. It's a thing. You okay. need to look this up. Okay. MSA. It's got some. Anyway. I don't know. This what is path an awkward ending. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. It's okay. It was so good up it until was. the end. It was. <laughs> the end. What do you mean? We have two more hours to go. <laughs> God. Well, listen, huge thanks. I say it every week. People have so many things to do. This city's huge and sprawling. Nicole, thank you so much for coming on the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral podcast. Thank you. Seriously. You're welcome, and thanks again. Then today I woke up with the goddamn mistake. Think I'm gone.